here we are at the end of September, September just flew by. That didn't play August, but all the hot weather we've been having these days. Well, what we've been doing the past few weeks is doing a little review here at the beginning, and the first, uh, first Sunday in September, uh, and we talked about the fears we have, the dangerous fears, and turning over to God, and how God can help you take that step and release those fears. Uh, we got to that attempt, we talked about a faith story. And that it wasn't a fairy tale. And that we aren't wearing blasphemers, but we're wearing war boots. And our faith story is God's story. And we're part of God's story. But we know that this faith is hard work. And we have some work boots here as a symbol of that hard work. Last week, I had a fun with you all about uh, finding out what kind of your favorite candy is. And it sounded like there's chocolate of any kind. But we had some uh, bike and ice candies here, and I had a picture up on the screen about the gumball machine. That what we like our faith to be is just uh, take a little quarter, put it in a machine, turn the crank, and then get what you want. Whether it's a Mike and Ike or a Grunt or a Sugar Baby or Milk Dud or, you know, and whatever that is. And they say faith is like uh, depositing a small token and getting something from God. But we do more than likely, faith is like Ruth who worked hard. No, the enemy who gave her life to God. And over time, over time, God reveals the plan of redemption for Ruth and Naomi, and happened to be in the person of Boaz. Boaz had provided for their care, for their comfort. And that showed her faithfulness to God. Well, this morning we're going to look at dedicated to service. But before we look at this dedication to service, I thought it'd be important to maybe ponder to think about since we're at the cliff, you know, it's the cliff hangers, since we're at the cliff, have you ever prayed this prayer? God, if you get me out of this mess, I will never fill the blank again. God, if you get me out of this mess, the tenth time, I'll, I'll never do it again. Do you ever bargain with God? Is God, are you looking for bargains? Is God looking for bargains? Bargaining with God, back and forth, back and forth. And I just wonder when we think about uh, mapping out our own steps of faith and God's story, that there's somewhere along the way in our human nature that. It's basically down the brass tacks, God. It says bargain here. Now, I'll give you this if you give me that. And you're thinking that we are the ones that are in control. We are the ones that are in authority. We are the ones that have it all together. And now I made this mistake, God, but uh, how, about, how about this? Bargaining with God. And I think it comes to a point, this, it comes to when we ask the question, God, is this my next step? see, in our human nature, in our human nature, when we know we're getting close to something big that has to happen, I believe that's when we start bargaining with God. Because you know the answer. You know the truth. You know what the next step is. And you're just wondering, maybe God doesn't know what the next step is. So I'm just bargaining and offer this. 
You see, when I was reading the scriptures, man, God, this is this is a hard scripture. Because you have the question, that's the question. Was Hannah bargaining? God, if you give me this, I'll do this. Well, that's why we have three points in a long 20-minute sermon to find out what the truth is about this bargaining with God stuff. But I think it's nestled in the question, God, is this my next step? Ask that question to yourself. God, is this my next step? As you hear the scripture today. So what I see first, and, uh, and if you want to follow along in the outline, I was really clever this, this morning and for the message, I got to use three points using the word bitter. Bitter rivals, bitter prayers, bitter sweet. Do you have a rival? Do you have a rival? You know what I'm talking about, right? Do you know who that rival is? Now maybe you go back to your elementary school and dad run up Ricky Pops to run faster than me. I didn't like that. Ricky runs faster than me, that can't be. He was my rival. But who, you know, who, who is your rival? Who's one that just gives you fits? Maybe who's the one that makes you better? Or makes you bitter? Who is the rival? Now, growing up in Highland uh, County in Greenfield, Greenfield's rival was Hillsborough, the Hillsborough Indians. Oh, you didn't want to go to Hillsborough at all. You want to stay in Greenfield. The only reason you go to Hillsborough is if you want to pull a dead body out there and get back to Greenfield. That's why you want to go to Hillsborough. <laughs> Just like the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville. The only reason you go to Louisville is to pull a dead body out of there. That's the only reason. You know what I'm talking about. There's rivals. If I stayed up north, right? Even in the scriptures, it talks about 
how when Hannah went to the temple, the husband felt sorry for her. And the scripture says that he gave her a double portion to offer to God, hoping that someday Hannah would have a child. See, Hannah was praying. Despite these, this bitter rivalry, she was praying, and it sounded like it was for years, years, and getting nothing. It can be very difficult to wait on God to come. Especially when you have that voice of a rival speaking in your ear. It makes time seem to march that much slower. When you're in the room of a rival. So, what are some of the rival voices and situations that make the next step difficult? What is, what is that voice? What are the situations? What's keeping you from taking the next step to the, to the very thing God wants you to do? What is that voice? What's it sound like? What's it look like? I believe that voice is putting a little bit of fear in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Do you really want to do this? You know you're going to mess up anyway. The right voice? Did you think about this weakness or that situation? Or don't you know you don't have enough money to do that? That's why the next step becomes difficult because of those rival voices. Proverbs 20, verse 5. Knowing what is right is like deep water in the heart. And a wise person draws from well within. Just the thought that you know what God wants you to do. You know it. But you're still at a place where you're bargain with God. But he knew if you could go into the deep waters of your very soul and pull up the buckets, you would hear God's voice. Not the rival voice. That's what was that verse is saying, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will draw from the deep well from within you, and you will hear what the next step is. That's how you come back to the right voice. You see, did, did Hannah stop? She didn't stop, right? She kept on praying. She prayed so long, so hard, so well, that um, the priest thought she was drunk. Let's look at it. A better prayer, Britta. <laughs> That's the water for whatever that is. Better prayers. Um, you know, when when his voices are in you, sometimes we do have better prayers, don't we? You know, it's all hurt, man. It's all hurt. It's all hurt when you pray when you have prayers like that. Don't you think Hannah was hurting? I think she was hurting. There's nothing wrong with being hurting when we pray, but how, how it affects our heart. Hannah took, took her burden to the Lord and vowed to yet dedicate the child to the Lord's service. I just wonder how long it took her to, to get to that point. 
It was years. It was years. In a moment, we're going to read what I call Hannah's breakthrough prayer. Here's where we can begin to use the very prayer that is bitter and use it for good. Honestly before God, let you see your true self. And the bitter prayer transforms into a better prayer. Honestly. Being honest before God, being truthful before God. Say, God, here I am. I'm a broken person. Here I am. I need to hear your voice. Here I am. God, is this the next step? And then we begin to reform our prayers that may proceed as bitter and better. Because this takes place in the heart. In our heart. Our being. One person said this when they were faced with a difficult decision then, and she knew her prayers were bitter. She said this, I was miserable because I lost touch with the heart of the story. I was miserable because I, I lost touch with the heart of the story. His voice distract us. The writers distract us. Our own bitter prayers sometimes distract us. But when we focus on the heart of the story, I believe we get at to the truth, the truth of God. That's why a bitter prayer becomes a better prayer when we're transformed. And in Scripture, we don't know when exactly or how long it took for him. But in your outline, the message translation is, is a prayer. Oh God and angel armies, if you take a good and hard look at my pain, if you quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy uh, discipline. I just wonder how long Hannah had the first part down, but then realized she needed the second part. That she had pain, and she would turn that pain over to God. And that if God would provide her a son, a child, this child would be dedicated to the Lord. What's your next step? Figuratively speaking, I'm not talking about praying for a child. But what is one of those most precious things that you would like to have that would be in your possession and decide, I'm going to give this back to God if I need Jesus Christ. That is a big step. That's huge job. comes to the better sweet. This is what helps me make sense about Hannah's situation. This is how I discern it for myself in the scripture and for us because I think many of us might be at that point, at one point, at one time or another. I found a person named, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Shana Nequest, Nequest, 
but she gives a definition or a little description of the word bittersweet in her book, Bittersweet Thoughts. And here's a few words from her. The idea of bittersweet is changing the way I live, unraveling and rewiring the way I understand life. Bittersweet is the idea that, that in all things there's both something broken and something beautiful. That there's a sliver of lightness, lightness on even the darkest of nights. A shadow of hope in every heartbreak. That rejoicing is no less rich when it contains a splinter of sadness. Bittersweet is the practice of believing that we really do need both the bitter and the sweet. And that a life of nothing but sweetness rots both your teeth and your soul. Bitter is what makes us strong, what forces us to push through, what helps us earn the lines on our face and the calluses on our hands. Sweet is nice enough, but bittersweet is beautiful, nuanced, full of depth and complexity. Bittersweet is courage, gutsy, earthy. That's bittersweet. I see that as a good description of Hannah. A good description of Hannah. Which makes sense about her prayer. Hannah gave her greatest blessing back to God in worship and thanksgiving. She gave it back. The sweetest moment when I practice acceptance. Sean said, I floated instead of fought. That's what bittersweet is. She goes on and says, uh, when life is sweet, say thank you and celebrate. And when it's bitter, say thank you and grow. That's a mature Christian, by the way. Do you want to become more mature in your Christian faith? To me, that is mature understanding of how to handle those bitter things in our life. Putting together make them bittersweet. You know what I've learned about breakthrough prayer? There's one thing I've learned about answer prayer. It's costly. It's costly. worth every penny and every sacrifice for the kingdom of God. That's breakthrough prayer. That's answered prayer. That's Hannah's prayer. Look at all the Israelites. They were in Babylon. They were, they were in a foreign territory. They were kicked out of the promised land. They, they were rebellious for a time. And then their, their, their captors said, why don't you play for us one of your beautiful songs from Zion? And this is what they said. Alongside the Babylonian rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. They were bitter. But they knew they had many things that old. They wanted to see joyously about, but they weren't going to sing until they moved into the promised land. 
So that you've got back home. To me, that's a prayer of experiencing transformation. Transform heart. So this is a spiritual test or a, the next step for you this morning. Uh, a very practical way on a Christian faith. Uh, have you made the longest time to put off Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and waiting for the right time, right place? And Well, maybe this morning is the next step. For the very first time, I'll take the next step and make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. It changed me back in 1980 and I've been saved since. Or maybe you want to say yes because you're going to be baptized and you're not going to baptize. Maybe the next step is being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to, as an outward sign of an inward work of grace. That's your next step. And for those who've done both of those already, praise the Lord. God's done a work in you. And what is the next step? In a very practical way, we come into our, our picnic next Sunday from 4 to 7 at Spring Bay. But you personally, what's God calling you to do? What's the next thing? And you know what it is. I know. Let's pray. Jesus, we're here asking that you will allow us to take that next step. And we may fall into your arms, that we may know your grace, and by faith we're safe, and by grace. And God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is uh, Lord and Savior of all humanity. And God, we just pray for our community. And we pray that the kingdom will grow by one or two or a few more because of what Trinity Church does. And may put in motion what we hear from you. So Jesus, hear our prayers. Amen. Usher.